0: Alright, it's time to begin a new series, and we're starting book of Genesis, chapter 1. We're going to look at the book of Genesis. It's been a long time. I can't ever remember when I said something last, so... Uh, as I talk all the time, I can't remember what I said sometimes, but... <clears throat> it's been a long time, I think, since we started in Genesis. And, of course, Genesis means the beginning Of things, and it talks about how the world started and all that came to be. And it is, when we come to Genesis chapter 1, this is one of the most extraordinary written passages in the history of the world. In the history of the world, there's nothing like this. This is amazing, it is unique. Uh, It is uh, simple, straightforward, and sublime, uh, deep, and yet uh, just full of information. And its authorship is Moses. You'll see it'll say the first book of Moses called Genesis. (laughs) And so... This came out of the mind of this man, Moses. And I want to think about that for a minute because that has a significant impact on the whole meaning of it. If you look at me in Acts chapter, it's number seven. Moses is the author of Genesis. And uh, there's two things that are significant about moses being the author now you remember story of moses he was born into slavery hidden by his mother in a little basket floating on the nile river and um, <laughs> amazingly of course we know that was god uh the the queen comes down and says, hey i'll take that baby home and so moses grew up in pharaoh's house And because of that, we have this verse here. And this is Stephen in the the book of Acts when Stephen is uh, giving his defense for his faith. He goes into history. And uh, in Acts chapter 7, verse 21, And when he, that's Moses, uh, was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up, nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptian and was mighty in words and in deeds. And so Moses, he said, was educated uh, in all the best things that Egypt had to offer. That makes him smarter than most people in the history of the world, (laughs) all right? You know, I heard some preacher the other day, well, I graduated from Cambridge, and everybody goes, whoop-dee-doo. Who cares, you know? That don't make you smart, buddy. And, uh, uh, you know, somebody says, well, I'm college educated." Well, yeah, okay. You, You don't come anywhere near Moses. Think of what the wisdom of the Egyptians was. They're building pyramids that we can't figure out today how they did it. And they're building cities and they're storing bodies. They're doing all kinds of stuff that was highly advanced. And growing up in Pharaoh's house, he had the chance to be fully educated in everything that they knew. And he became what we call in his day a scribe or an author, a writer and uh, that's what he did and so we have a guy that's highly educated you can't get an education today like he had and he's the only Jew that was educated like that he's the only one because the rest of them are slaves whole rest of the whole race of Jews were slaves. They had no education. Here's a guy pulled out of a basket, and he gets an education as bar none. And so he's highly educated and uh, very well taught, and he's able to write. And so, uh, you know, at 40 years of age, uh, he went out to help his people, he saw somebody beaten a slave and so he killed him buried him in the sand and he spends the next forty years wandering around as a shepherd as a long way down from Pharaoh's house best education in the world and he's a shepherd for 40 years and then we go to Exodus 3 Exodus chapter 3 and the reason to talk about this is because this is the man uh, who would write this unbelievable chapter the whole book of Genesis but the beginnings of it are just amazing. Exodus chapter 3 and he's out there in the middle of absolutely nowhere tending sheep by himself in verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see that is there's a burning bush over there and there's fire but it doesn't consume the bush. And God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, said, Moses, Moses, he said, here, I, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And so it's interesting that he didn't go looking for God. God went looking for him. That's really what happens to everybody, okay? When we think, well, Moses must have been searching for God. Well, I don't think so. He just tended, sheep, saw a bush on fire. We go look at it. Goes to look at it, and a voice comes out of the bush, and he doesn't know what to think. He's not sure what to think. And he says, well, get your shoes off. You're talking to me. Behave now in an appropriate manner because I'm talking to you and I want you to hear something. Verse 12 is where it becomes instinct. God, again, talking to Moses out of the burning bush. He said, "'Certainly I will be with thee, "'and this shall be a token unto thee, "'that I have sent thee. "'When thou hast brought forth a people out of Egypt, "'you shall serve God upon this mountain.'" So we know he's out by Sinai, in the middle of absolutely nowhere. "'Moses said unto God, (coughs) "'Behold, when I come to the children of Israel, "'and so say unto them, "'The God of your fathers sent me unto you, "'they shall say to me, "'What is his name?' What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And so not only is he not seeking for God, but when he gets to God and God starts talking to him, he says, Who are you? Who are you? And God says to him, Well, I am that I am. Alright, I exist. Because of me, right? nobody here exists because of themselves. You don't exist because of yourself. None of us do. Only God exists because He is Himself. And so He says, "You." T- that's what you tell Him. so He says, "I don't know your name. I don't know who you are." So what we have now is a man completely educated. In a superior way, and now God says, You're coming back, and we're going to talk in this mountain. And we have now the re education of Moses. The re education of Moses. Chapter 19 of Exodus. Chapter 19. Chapter 19. And I'm going to start reading. This is Mount Sinai. He's led the children out of Egypt, children of Israel, out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, into the wilderness. God says, go to Mount Sinai, where we talked before. And he's going back there. Verse 16 of chapter 19 of Exodus. Came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain, the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mountain, though they're down on the sand. Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. The smoke therefore ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. So the ground's actually shaken. And God came down on the mountain all fire and smoke. And the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder. And Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up. Can you imagine? The thing's on fire. The mountain on fire shaking and trembling And God says, Come up here. (laughs) You don't know about that. It's fire. Come up here. And he went up there for 40 days. And he talked to God. It's the re education of Moses. Moses talked to God. And God talked to Moses until when he came down, they couldn't look at him. His skin was shining. And he had to cover his face because he'd been with God in such close contact. And he said to God, I want to see you right in the face. He said, you can't, you can't take it, Moses. can't take it. But what I'll do, there's a cleft in the rock, and uh, I'm going to stand in that hole, and I'll put my hand over you, and then I'll pass by. And when I'll withdraw my hand, you'll just see me leaving. And so he does. He puts his hand. That's why we sing songs all the time talking about he hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. And that's it. Moses hidden in the rock. So this is a man who was fully educated and God says, but you don't know nothing. I'm going to educate you now. You don't know what I need you to know. And so when we turn over to Genesis 1, we only got one reason that we can say anything about it, that God told Moses. He educated Moses. He re-educated him. So the education that he had, best in the world, maybe some of the best in history, is not enough. It won't help. He's going to need to relearn all over again. And it's fascinating to me that when we come to Genesis 1, who's got the loudest voices shouting against it? the educated people <laughs> educated people Oh, that can't be that's not how it was well Moses probably would have thought the same thing but he got re-educated and so here is a whole new education they come to Genesis to be educated in the ways of God and to learn the way God thinks and the way God operates. And Genesis is one of the, uh, maybe the best books in the Bible. You want to learn how God thinks. You want to learn what God does. And here we have uh the creation story. We start with that and we go on to several other beginning things. But we have uh, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And so there's two questions that come to our mind that we want to deal with as we start out tonight. Uh, number one, where did this world come from? Where did the world come from? And uh, the next question naturally is uh, when did it start? So if you go outside, and you look around you, uh, you can ask those two questions right away, just looking around. Just stand there and look outside. I'm always looking outside my house that I live in was built by a man who lived to look outside and so I look outside and I see animals and birds and ducks on the pond and all those things and I'm watching them all the time and what does it say what does it mean well, where does it come from how did these things come to be and when did it start And so as we look at the world around us, there's two reasonable questions. Anybody should ask that question. Where did this all come from? And then when did it start? Did it have a beginning? And here we have uh, a man who's going to tell us in this straightforward and very sublime language uh, that nothing quite touches it in the Bible unless... It's John one one, which we just finished, right? Remember we've been talking about John and what we say. John one in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and without him was nothing made that was made and we had those verses and him was light, and the life was the light of men. So we got John chapter one, very sublime, taking these basic concepts and giving them to us and that's what's happening here we're getting the basic concepts that will answer the questions where did the world come from where did it come from and uh, when did it begin so we're going to begin looking we may not get far <laughs> uh, but we'll keep working through this and uh, hopefully we can come up with some uh, unique ideas and some reason for what we believe. And so we come, verse 1 of Genesis, in the beginning. All right, so we know that something happened in the beginning. And that's an important thing. The Bible tells us that there are four dimensions. Of existence, that is, there are four different dimensions that the Bible tells about. There may be more, but the Bible tells us about four dimensions of existence, and that means, uh, well, four places. I guess the first one is the throne. God, the first dimension of existence, and uh, that we can see in a lot of places. I pick a simple, straightforward one for us to look at the dimension of the throne of God, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, and this we can see in a lot of different places. You see in Revelations, we see it in Isaiah, we see it. Uh, in Ezekiel. uh, You see it all over through the Bible, but here it is. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And so, uh, Isaiah says, uh, when that king died, I looked up into heaven, a dimension of existence, and I saw there the throne of God. That's a dimension of existence. We call it the throne of God. More commonly, we might call it heaven. where God lives. But that's a dimension of existence, and that's where the throne of God is. So that's one of the dimensions of existence. Uh, Another dimension of existence that the Bible tells us about, we call it hell. Hell is another dimension of existence, and that's a place uh, specially made Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells us about this dimension of existence, Matthew chapter 25, and how it came to be. How did this one come to be, dimension of hell? Matthew chapter 25, looking at verse number 41. Jesus is describing the judgment in the last day. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, judgment day, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And so hell was created for uh, Satan and his followers. That's where why God created a dimension called Hell. And that dimension, like all dimensions, there are uh, a place you and I can't just say, I'm going there today. I remember my uncle said to me, "Uh, where's heaven? I said, he said, it's up in the sky. I said, you mean if you got in a plane, you could drive to it if you had enough gas? He said, well, no. No, right, right. It's in another dimension of existence. Hell is another dimension of existence. The Bible tells us about a third dimension because we don't really know what to call it. We're going to call it the air. He said, well, we breathe the air. No, no, there's another dimension of existence. The Bible actually uses it quite often, but Ephesians chapter 2 will tell us something about it and that's why we use the air as uh, an example as something to call it Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air, you know, is Satan, and he's called the prince of the air, or there's a dimension of existence that you and I know and we see because angels come in and out of it. All right? And angels showed up at the tomb of Christ. Where would they come from? Well, then they disappeared. Then they came. They, well, they're coming out of the air. There's another dimension. We believe it's all around us, but we can't get into it. We're locked out of it. And that dimension is what Jesus used. Remember on Sunday I talked about he's eating at Emmaus mass. And all of a sudden, he's gone. Where did he go? Well, he slipped into the dimension where he could travel, called the air. And while those two guys are running seven miles back to Jerusalem, he's traveling in another dimension, moving quickly as he wants to, and as soon as they get there, arrive in, all of a sudden, bang, he's inside the room. How did he get in the room without opening the door? Because he's in another dimension of existence, and he's able to step in and out. And the angels did the same thing. Angels, remember, uh, Balaam on his donkey, and he's kicking a donkey. He says, get going. And the donkey says, what are you hitting me for? <laughs> and Balaam says, because you're stupid. You're a dumb donkey and what the donkey can actually see is an angel in the road that he can't see because the angel is in a dimension called the air and so there's a dimension where spiritual beings are able to move and Satan moves in that dimension and his followers move in that dimension and Jesus can move in that dimension so the Bible tells us quite a lot about it and that's the dimension of the air you can't get there Because we come to the fourth dimension, which is this earth, uh, which I call time and space. We call it a time-space continuum, or that is, we live in a dimension. It's on this earth, and it's all around us, and we are controlled by two things. We are controlled by time. The minute you're born, the clock ticks. Right? We all know what happens when we get a little older, right? We get a little older because of time. We can't avoid the passing of time. We're trapped by it. We're in this dimension. We can't avoid the passing of time. And so we pass time, and time goes along with us because we're stuck in a dimension. Now, we know that when we die and go to heaven, what's there? That's eternity. No time there. All right? So only in this dimension does time exist. God created this dimension. He says, I'm going to put you in this dimension so that as time goes by, you'll live your life and use it up and be finished. And so the passing of time occurs here. That's the only dimension that we know of where time passes. And we're also bound by space. As we can't fill a space where something else is. We know that Jesus walked through walls. How did he do it? Because he has the dimension of the air and he can pass in and out through material things. You and I can't. Hard as I want, I'll run at that wall and I'm still going down in the heat. I can't get through it. There's a dimension that we are stuck in which is controlled by time and space. And so in the beginning... What happened? It had a beginning. The this time and space thing started. You say, when did heaven start? I don't know that it did. It's eternal. When did the throne of God begin? Didn't begin. Didn't begin. I am that I am. I draw my existence out of my own being, and so I don't have any relationship to time or space. God has no relationship to time or space. He's not controlled by either of them. Uh, but this dimension had a beginning. It had a start. And so the time space continuum that we are born into and that we live into uh, live in, uh, he said had a beginning. So we look around the world, and you look around and say, well, when did it start? When did it begin? When did it start? When did it have its first existence? If it is controlled by time, it had to have a start, and it must necessarily then need to have what? An end, a finish. And so we'll have, in this dimension, a beginning, a start, and the beginning, Right, and then there's gonna be an end of our dimension, and that will happen when God says, uh, all right, I'm ready to bring both dimensions together, and the throne of God comes down onto earth. And John said, I saw it. So a new heaven and a new earth coming down and joining together. He said, when that happened, the holy city came down on the earth. And amazingly enough, we have the dimensions of the holy city that will come down out of heaven. It's about the size of Europe. There's a city being built in the throne of God in that dimension that will come down to earth. He said, I see the city come down, and it's about the size of Europe. It's quite a place, And then at that time, the time-space continuum will end. And so we're interested now in the beginning of the time. When did it start? We have a time in the beginning. God said, here's where it begins. It's going to start here now. So in the beginning, when did it start? Well, there's a time. And Moses is about to tell us, here's when it started. I'm going to tell you how it started. Where did it come from? So, in the beginning, we got three words so far. And then we get one more word. Uh, that's God. And we got to stop there. In the beginning, God. So, Elohim is the Jewish word that's used there. It's a very kind of fascinating name that the Hebrews gave to God. So, in the Hebrew, it would say, in the beginning, Elohim, which is a word that we use as God. Uh, Elohim, and this is God's, who is he? What does the name Elohim mean? Well, (coughs) attached to the word Elohim, there's a couple of things uh, first one would be it's a radical power. It's a radical power. They say there's a name Elohim uh, that has included in it a tremendous power, a radical power, not like you've ever seen before. So the, the word Elohim says radical power, and the other thing about the word Elohim. And it is plural. it's plural. You say, well, it just says in the beginning, God. Yeah. (laughs) And it's plural form. All right. So we have a name here. If we could try as best as we can, Uh, I am that I am. I exist because I exist. But more than that, Elohim means more than that. It means... uh, Living personification of immense power. Or there's a living being who exists in a plurality who has an immense power. An immense power. And so what he did was he created. In the beginning, Elohim created. Or that is, he made... Something from nothing. There was no existence in a dimension of time and space, but he's going to create that from nothing. It did not exist, and then it did. Now, what I like about it is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There you go. No apology, (laughs) no whining well how do you know you in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth all right and uh, he said well how do you know people said, how do you know you weren't there no I wasn't there it says here that Moses wrote in the beginning Elohim this extremely powerful plural being created the heavens and And the earth, and that's a statement of fact, and there it is. So, you can say, well, uh, we don't believe that. We believe that over millions of years. No, no. In the beginning, God created. And so, it had a beginning. It was God who did it. And here's a man who was trained in all the ways of Egypt. So, what do the Egyptians believe? They worshipped the Nile River. They worship the sun, Ra, is the sun. They worship. They worship Pharaoh. For heaven's sakes, they worship bugs. They worship bugs. They think bugs are wonderful. Scarabs, they call them, and they worship bugs. That's what he was trained in. All those Egyptian things. He doesn't say in the river, because no, he's been re-educated. He knows better now. And he says, in the beginning, God, the one I talked to up in the fire on the mountain, he told me he made everything that was. And that's just a straight uh, statement of fact. There's no apology of it. There it is. And it doesn't matter what the Egyptians think. And everybody's always trying to say, "Wow, well, we got to go back into ancient history and see what the ancients thought. I don't care what the ancients thought. It says here clearly, God created the world. God did it, and there's nothing like it anywhere else. You know, you can read some other thing from the American Indians, how, well, whatever. You know, I don't want to go into it, but they have somebody here who says, you know, God came up can't make sense of it. This is very clear and plain. In the beginning, God created. This being of immense power came and made a time-space continuum where you and I have come to be and we are restricted by the dimension that we live in. Here's the beginning of that dimension. Okay? Yeah. You say, well, that's quite a statement. There's nothing. Wait till we get to the next one. (laughs) And the earth, verse 2, was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And so we have two words used in English, without form. Without form, and it was void. That it had no function it was void. It had no meaning. Uh, it was actually the real word that was used in the Hebrew. It was chaos. Well, so in the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and it was chaos. What he's saying here. Now, <clears throat> that is a shocking thing. That's very. <laughs> Shocking thing say the earth was chaos So let's think a little bit. we will think ahead a little so God says let's start and he creates plants and he creates animals Creates ocean he creates dry land He creates all kinds of things and every time he finishes it There's the all of a sudden the world is full of plants. He said that's good. 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 And he fills the ocean with fish. He says, That's good. It's good. Everything he touches is good. And so we have from it a primary statement about God that ultimately God is a God of order. He's a God who creates order, he will keep things in order. He will create things in order. So if God is a God of order, how come there's chaos in verse 2? Where'd that come from? How can there be chaos if God has created the heavens and the earth? Well, that takes a little more thought, doesn't it? Because uh, apparently uh, there's, there seems to be a question. Now, I'm going to give you the opinion of a lot of people. Some people just skip over verse 2 and say, never mind that, let's go on. (laughs) And uh, I think that it's worth a little bit of us uh, thinking about that. And what they call in Genesis 1, 2, they call it a gap theory. They call it the gap theory. Uh, for want of something better to call it. They call it the gap theory. In other words, God created the universe as we know it. And then there was a gap. And God looked down, and there's chaos on the earth. It's all full of chaos. So the thought that people have had, which I think is a reasonable thought, uh, that there was a first creation, and at that creation, something happened. And so, the result of what happened was chaos in the earth. And so, God came to make a second creation, and that's the one we're in now. And we know, the Bible says, He will make a third creation. And Peter tells us at the end, what he's going to do is clean the whole world off with fire, so that every bit of human building, human construction disappears,'s gone. And then he says he create a third earth. And and John says, I saw the new heaven and the new earth, and there was no sea on the new earth. So it's a third creation. So we think that God created the first creation, and and then uh, something happened. So we're going to take a guess at what happened. We're going to look at Ezekiel, chapter number 28. Ezekiel chapter number twenty eight. We can figure out Ezekiel chapter twenty eight. I'm looking at verse number eleven. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, he's talking about uh, prophecies towards Tyrus, the king of Tyre. And then it kind of shifts gears. And it says... uh, Verse thirteen thou hast been in Eden, the Garden of God, King of Tyrus was never in the Garden of Eden, okay talking about somebody else, so here 's a person who was in the Garden of Eden, Verse thirteen, thou hast been in Eden, the Garden of God, every precious stone was thy covering the Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sasper, emerald, carbuncle, and gold. the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth I have set thee so thou was on the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down midst of the stones of fire. I was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. And by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. The heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground, lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. So, obviously he's talking about Satan. Satan pulled a rebellion. He said, you were in the Garden of Eden. And he describes the place as uh, filled with all sorts of jewels. Jewels diamonds and onyx and pearls and all the rest of it. He said, you're filled, the place was filled. So we think, we're guessing. Okay, we're guessing. We we're trying to guess intelligently. That the second creation here, between God created the heavens and the earth, and the gap between the second was that God put in this world uh, Satan, and he rebelled. And as a result of it, he said, the midst of thee was filled with violence. And you have to understand something about Satan. Whenever you see a violent society, you see that? Where does it come from? The midst of Satan is filled with violence. He will never be having until there's violence. And so in the world is chaos. Because the rebellion of Satan. All right, is there any other place that might mention that? Isaiah chapter fourteen. We we'll go over a couple books to Isaiah chapter fourteen and verse number twelve. Two parallel passages. Isaiah 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in the Mount of Congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights to the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet shalt thou be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made earth to tremble and did shake kingdoms? And so uh, he's thrown out. God says you're, you're falling down from the position that you have. And so what some people think, and I don't think it's unreasonable, that first God created the world as, as we don't know it. And then ch- chapter 1 here says, you know, he's created the world, and now he looks down, and it's chaos. It's without form and void, or it has experienced judgment of some very serious kind, and what has it become? What happened? The, the judgment that was poured out on that first created earth well let's see what he says here uh, verse 2 again in Genesis the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep All right, and so we have a world now uh, that is dark and covered with water There's no light on the earth. The entire world is underwater. Everything in it is under the water. And uh, we think some form of judgment that God poured out on a rebellious creation. Therefore, the chaos in Genesis 1-2 Wasn't God's doing. He didn't create chaos because he doesn't create chaos. He creates order. Well, where did the chaos come from? A rebellion of some kind. We know Satan was the leader of a rebellion. And it does say that he was in Eden when it was full of gems. And so we think that maybe the original world was that kind of a world. A little different from as we know it, because when we look at the Garden of Eden in Genesis, what's it full of? Plants. Trees. Full of trees. Plants and animals. All right? It's a little different than the description. So we think that it's possible. Now this, you could, we could be wrong, because we're talking about stuff uh, that really is not meant to describe to us every little thing that happened. That's not why Genesis one is written. Genesis one is written so you'll know who God is and how God thinks. All right. And so he we said, "Well, I'm going to learn all about creation." No, there's going to be a lot of holes. <laughs> Well, here's one that is explained that the, the world was covered in water and it's also covered in darkness. So the entire world is a dark place. Uh, he said, Well, isn't the heavens, weren't they already created? Yeah. But the world is a dark place. And he says, Darkness was upon the face of the deep. All right. So that. If you were there in that place, couldn't see a thing. All you know is you're floating on the water. No land anywhere to be found. The entire world is wrapped in water. Okay, And it says then in verse 2, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. And so now Elohim, which we were told uh, was a plural name meaning uh, that there was a a unity, there was one God, but a plurality, you and I call that the Trinity. From our entire Bible, we take it and we find uh, what we call Trinity, and the existence of God is in three persons. We call it Father, and we call it Son, and we call it Holy spirit. That's not something somebody dreamed up along the way. We can go through the Bible and show it over and over and over and over and over again. Right? Jesus gets baptized. God the Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, comes into Jesus. What do we got? Father, Son, and Spirit. Right. And it says in the Bible that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Also says the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. It also says that ah, Jesus raised Himself from the dead. Father, Son, Spirit. And so we have constantly many, many references through the Bible of three persons called God, each a little, each distinct, and yet each the same, not a simple concept. So he's told us that the Spirit of God, Elohim, the Spirit, moved over the face of the water. All right. Now let's look at a couple other things to help us to try to grasp what's going on. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews in the New Testament, towards the end after Timothy and Titus Philemon and Hebrews here's where I think it becomes absolutely fascinating Hebrews 1 verse 1 God Elohim Who at different times and in different ways spake in a time past unto the fathers by the prophets. As in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, Jesus, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. So it says here that Jesus created the world. Jesus created the world. He made the world. He upholds the world by his power. That's God the Son, all right? Let's take another look as we got another one, Colossians, maybe even a better one. Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 1. Make sure you understand we're talking about Jesus here. Verse 14, Colossians 1, 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You know that comes from Jesus, okay? Who is the image of the invisible God. Firstborn of every creature for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things consist. So we get Jesus as the creator of everything that exists. Jesus is the creator, right? So he created all things, it says. When our poor Jehovah Witness friends get to that verse, they say, well, what do we do with that? Here's what they do. He created all other things. (laughs) Just the way to lie. Alright? Clever way to lie. He didn't create all other things. He created all things. Alright. So what do we have now? We got Elohim, a plural being of immense power, moving out now to create. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the creator. And then it says the Spirit of God is moving on the water. Now, because we can't figure the whole thing out, (laughs) I I can't grasp Trinity. I believe it. The Bible talks about it enough, so it's clear enough for us to get. But uh, we try to somehow explain how it works. And I don't even think... This is exactly how it works, but the best we can do. What the Father thought, the Son bought. And the Holy Spirit moved into action. we try to explain the Trinity in that way. So that we got what? The Heavenly Father who's going to create. And he says to Jesus, I want it to, the world to spin off of your fingertips. And so Jesus creates the world. And there's a motion in creation that's a tremendous power that moves through. And that's the spirit of God making it all work. And so we got Father, Son, and Holy Ghost here in Genesis, right in the beginning. Elohim of immense power being created, uh, the heavens and the earth, all three of them, created by the Spirit and the Son. The Son actually, off of His hands, off of His fingertips, come the creation as it is. All right. And so the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water or God decided to create. And so uh, there's a world now with no dry ground. It's in darkness and we believe that the reason it's in darkness was there was a rebellion in creation. And God uh, judged that rebellion and because of it he created hell or the devil and the angel. So there's a place, another place of existence where Satan will go, In the end of time, he'll go there, and he will be there forever, stuck there, never to leave, because in that dimension, you can't leave. You can't get out. It's like, we can't get out of this one now. Without God's help, and God's help, we can get and go to the throne of God. All right. without god's help we're going there with the devil <laughs> don't do that don't do that all right and so uh in the beginning God created, it was God who moved to this great power, and something had happened in the world to create a chaos. And now there's darkness all over the world, and everything's covered with water. But God said, I'm going to move across this water. We're going to make something happen. In verse 3, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So he looks down into the darkness. I'm going to create light. So, well, that's easy. You just make a sun. No, you're going to create light. Didn't say you're going to make a sun, you're going to create light. And what is light? Who knows? (laughs) For years and years and years and years, people said that light was waves. And light came in light waves and traveled in these light waves, and that's how light comes through the world. Now, they say that's not correct. They know that's not correct. So they're trying to figure out what is light. And the only thing that they can come up with in their mind, trying to figure out what is light, is that there are, I guess for want of a better word, uh, little uh, bursts of energy that travel in these, these little bursts of energy, and that's actually light. And it's not in a wave as they taught for. You know years uh, they say now we believe that light exists in little bursts of energy. So God made light and we'll see about three days later he'll make the sun. And you thought light came from the sun. And that's not what it says here. He made light first. And I guess that's what you want, wouldn't you? If you're in a dark place, the first thing you got to do is turn on a light. When I first came in this building, it was 9 o'clock at night. And guy called me up, go look at the building tonight. I said, it's 9 o'clock. He says, bring a flashlight. <laughs> and I did. I brought a flashlight. I turned it on. And there's only, only light in the whole place that worked was one bulb in there. I hit that switch and one light. I said, Man, I'm gonna look this over in the almost darkness. I sure wish I had some light so I could see And what does God say in the beginning? I Want you to see I Want you to see what happens. So first thing I'll do is put light into the world And so he says and it's very interesting <coughs> Verse 5 God called the day, the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So he said, we start out in dark. And then we create light. And he said, there, now we've had darkness and we've had light. Let's call it a day. That'll be a day. And that's why, as we have been describing all through the Easter season coming up to it, when does the day begin? The Jewish day begins at sunset, when it's dark. And so we talked about Passover. They don't start until the sun sets on Thursday night because the Jewish people (coughs) who wrote this, said (coughs) that's when the day begins. It begins when the sun sets. And so here we have the first day, it's dark and time has begun to click on the clock and he said well i'll make light so we have a time of darkness have a light and he says, "There, we will call it a day and here it's the first day so he puts light into the world before anything else and you say i guess i get it but who's watching <laughs> That's the good part. All right, Job, book of Job, chapter 38. Before the book of Psalms is the book of Job. This is right out of the mouth of God, in case you're wondering. He's going to explain a few things about creating the world that we hadn't thought of before. love this passage job 38 the lord answered job out of the whirlwind and said who is this that darkened counseled by words without knowledge or so you guys have been chatting a lot for the last 37 chapters and you don't know what you're talking about so i got some questions i want you to answer here we go verse 3 gird up thy loins like a man for i will demand of thee and answer thou me here's my questions where was thou when i laid the foundation of the earth declare if thou hast understanding the earth is set on some sort of a foundation why doesn't it just wobble and go all around because god set it on it foundation. Verse 5, who laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, who stretched a line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? So God said, I set the world in place, part of my creating it. And he says, "Uh, were you there, Job? Of course, he's... (laughs) I'm mean, not going to say nothing to God because he's asking questions and nobody knows. Nobody was there. He said, were you there? Can you answer that question? Who laid the foundation? Who measured where it should be? How come the world is exactly where it is? Or when did it come and where did it come from? God says I put it in place I made it to be right there and what happened when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So there are other dimensions of existence and there are people or creatures and we'll call them angels for want of a better word who are watching God create. Where are they? Well they're in some other dimension. They may be in the air maybe in that dimension called the air where they can travel and move. Maybe they're watching from heaven We're not sure where they're watching from but they are not in this dimension, they're just watching it being made and He he said I want to show you guys So first thing I'll create is light so you can see what happens and so he fills the world with light And now they can watch. And what do they do when they say, (laughs) unbelievable. And every day it gets more and more and more unbelievable as he goes on. So he's creating the world, and they're watching him, and they're shouting for joy, and they're seeing it happen because the first thing he put in the world was light. Now we can watch creation as it happened without light being in the darkness. Now we can have the light. And I know i got to stop. i could got to talk for hours, all right? got to stop. I know i got to stop. But what I'm saying is that God comes into the world. What do we need first? First we're going to put light in the world. Where does it come from? God can make it. He doesn't need to create a light bulb for light. He can just make light, and so he makes these little bursts of energy that go through the atmosphere and light everything up. And uh, he makes light, and now you can see the waters all over the earth and everything. He creates light. And what does he do when he comes to earth himself? He brings light. In him was what? Light. and the light was the life of man and him was life, and that life that he brought was light to human beings. And so we see God behaving in an orderly fashion, because he's a God of order. and as he begins the world, he starts with light, and when he comes into the world, was it say, the light shined in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended, now, I promise us that. You get going on this stuff, and it all ties together. It's an amazing uh, tying together of the truth of God coming from Genesis 1. More next week. we got, what, three, four verses? (laughs) Maybe a couple more next week. Thank you.